You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. If someone were to make the statement to you that prayer is really important, I don't think there's anybody here that would disagree with that. Uh, We instinctively know that it's important, and yet, at the same time, most of us don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to the issue of prayer. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to be as practical as I can. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to imagine as you're finding Matthew chapter 7 that I were to offer you a gift. And let's just say that this gift would give you peace of mind. Let's say it would provide direction for your life. Uh, It would give you strength when times were tough. And you, through this gift, could find forgiveness for all of your transgressions. Uh, Refusing a gift like that would be foolish and careless. And yet, when it comes to prayer, I fear that that is what we do. And what I don't want to do tonight is discourage you about that because I I think there's something healthy uh, and life-giving about just admitting the struggle if we're going to learn to pray effectively. So if you struggle in this area, I I don't want to heap guilt on you for that, and I don't want to give the impression that God is up there going, I'm going to get you if you don't start praying, Uh, because that's not what the Scripture teaches. I want us to think of prayer more as a gift or an invitation. God gives us the gift of prayer because of his deep, love for us, not because he's trying to give us a list of something, you better do this or else. Uh, So I really want you to leave encouraged and equipped rather than just being condemned. Now, having said all of that, I do do want to be really practical. One of the things that I love to do when I think about the subject of prayer is just consider the prayer life of Jesus. It It's remarkable to me, first of all, that Jesus prayed at all, right? That's remarkable because you may pray at times where you pray directly to Jesus. Uh, You know, more often than not, we pray to the Father, God the Father. The Bible says, in fact, we pray to the Father through the Son because there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But when we pray, oftentimes we talk to our Father. We may appeal directly to Jesus. Some of you may even call out to the Holy Spirit when you pray. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. So the fact that Jesus prayed is pretty remarkable. He is God in human flesh, and yet he still prayed. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed in secret. He prayed before he ate. He prayed before the big events in his life. He prayed when he was popular. He prayed when he was rejected. He prayed submissively. He prayed for his enemies. And Jesus, most importantly, never allowed his busy schedule to prevent him from praying. 
Then in addition to that, you've got the, the New Testament, which multiple times implores us, even commands us to pray. So if all of that is true, why is it that we have such a hard time praying? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But just ask yourself this question. In, if you were to evaluate your prayer life, would you consider it successful? And by successful, I mean, do you feel like you're connecting with God? Do you feel like God hears you? Can you point to the reality that God has answered some of your prayers? Do you have a focus and a depth that make you confident when you pray? Some of you surely do, but I imagine maybe a few of you don't. And what I want to say to you tonight is you're not alone in that. You are not alone in that. The disciples of Jesus, in fact, remember what they asked Jesus to teach them about? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't want a seminar about how to cast out demons. They didn't want to know the secret to spiking water jugs at wedding parties. Uh, they didn't want to know how to multiply their dinner. They didn't ask him how to control the weather. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. So that's what I want to do tonight. I want to learn from Jesus to offer a couple lessons about how to pray successfully. And really, there are two lessons I want to drive into your heart. If you're going to pray successfully, number one, it requires persistence. Just showing up. Look at verse 7 here in Matthew chapter 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Now, this is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so what's immediately interesting to me about ask, seek, knock is that this is the second time Jesus has addressed the importance of prayer. And the fact that he mentions it twice highlights what a priority prayer was to Jesus. It's a reminder that if we're going to do all that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, or in other words, if we're going to live the Christian faith, we will not succeed apart, uh, succeed apart from prayer. Um, for example, right here in chapter 7, in verses 1 through 6, you've got that famous text where Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged, which doesn't mean, by the way, that we're never to make judgments about other people. His point is simply that you better judge yourself before you judge others. Right after Jesus says that, he talks, he calls some people dogs, and he talks about how we're to identify false prophets. So you got to make judgments, but his point is you better be humble and not try to take the speck out of your brother's eye before you deal with the log in your own eye. Don't be a hypocrite. Deal with your junk before you try to deal with everybody else's junk, all right? And then right on the heels of all of that, he says, ask, seek, knock. In other words, if you 
are going to have wisdom to judge correctly, you better learn to ask, seek, and knock. Now, right out of the gate, as we think about the persistence of prayer, I want to get rid of this idea that that to be persistent means that if we just ask God enough, he'll give us anything that we want. That is not what Jesus is saying when he emphasizes persistence. What he does mean is that if we will persistently pray and strive to live according to God's kingdom standards, he will hear us and he will answer us as we pray. We've got to be consistent in our desire to seek his kingdom as we ask, seek, and knock. Now, what's also interesting to me, we know he's talking about persistence because without being too technical, these imperatives are in active tense, which means you could literally translate it, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. So uh, he's saying, be persistent, stay at it. So just in the name of practicality, I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever considered what determines whether or not you're persistent when you pray? Why is it you pray about s- some things once and then never again, and some things over and over and over? What's the difference between those two things? What would you say? Well, the word I would use is priority. We pray persistently about what is most important to us. The value of what we seek determines how persistent we are. So when Jesus is telling us we're to be persistent by asking and seeking and knocking, the challenge is not to be passionate when we're desperate, because when you're desperate, you're not just passionate, you're, you're persistent. If you've got your back against the wall and you need a breakthrough, you need God to come through in a major way, you're going to keep asking, right? The challenge is not to be passionate when we're desperate. The challenge is to be desperate when we're not passionate. The challenge is to ask for the mind of Christ until God answers that request. The challenge is to seek the will of God until we find it and we confidently identify it. The challenge is to knock on the door of faithfulness until the door finally opens. But what's tough about this is that a pure life, a pure heart, a pure mind, All of that is just as important as passing a midterm or getting a job or finding the right mate. It's just as important, but it doesn't seem as urgent to us. And it doesn't always carry with us the priority that it should. He says, if you want to be successful when you pray, you got to ask, you got to seek, you got to knock, and you got to stay at it about the things that really matter to God. I'm going to say more about that in just a moment, but whenever I think about this, the picture that I always think of 
is my little girl, Addison. Uh, some of you know I got five kids, and this was true about all of them at one point in their life. Uh, as they've gotten older, regretfully, this is no longer true about my kids. But uh, you remember when you were young and maybe your mom or dad got home, and as soon as they got home, you ran to the door, little feet, patter, 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 and you just, daddy, 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 you're hugging, you're talking. You remember that, right? Y'all remember that? Are y'all okay? Y'all okay? Um, that's what my little girl Addison does. As soon as I get home, every day, it's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And she comes and she she jumps up in my arms or she grabs my leg and she's squeezing and she's hugging my leg. She says, daddy, 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 listen. Listen to what happened today. Daddy, 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 look at this. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And she's going to tell me about, uh, about her day. And uh, it's so different than... Uh, my older kids, like my boys, like my oldest boy's 16, and so when I come home, like he ignores me when I get home, and I can say, "Hey, how was your day?" And he's like, oh, "Fine, no, fine," uh, but not her. She is persistent. She's gonna talk to her daddy uh, when he gets home. And just this week, I I went home. And I was tired. I'd had a long day. I had some emails that I needed to answer when I got home. And so when I got home, she ran to me. She said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And she, she's squeezing my, my leg. And I reached down. I kissed her on the forehead. I said, hey, sweetheart. And I kept walking. She said, Daddy, I want to show you something. I said, just a minute. She said, Daddy, no, you got to look at this. And she starts holding it up. And I'm, I'm looking over here. And I'm she's like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And then she starts slapping me on the, on the behind. Uh, look at this, Daddy. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And uh, I was kind of ignoring her. And finally, uh, I sat down at the kitchen table, and I opened up my laptop, and she climbed up in my lap, and she grabbed both of my cheeks, and she turned my head, and she said, are you going to listen to me or not? Cutest thing ever. What do you think I did? I shut my laptop. I said, what do you want to talk about, Addison? Tell me, tell me what you're so excited about. And for what took a while, <laughs> she told me. And you know what? I loved every moment of that because I love her. And that's what Jesus is saying about our prayer life. That's how we ought to seek God. You don't have to get God's attention. He's, he's very much aware of you. But, but when, when you Ask him, and you seek him, and you're knocking. He is anxious to hear from you. If you're going to pray successfully, when you're desperate, you will pray like that. But even when you're not desperate, that's how you got to pray. It, it takes persistence. All right? That makes sense? But also, if you pray successfully... It reveals provision in your life. One of the ways that you know you're connecting to God is if it's revealing God's provision in your life. Verses 8 through 11 offer what is truly a remarkable testimony. Jesus says, verse 8, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as amazing, but I'm stunned every time I read those verses. He says, if you ask me, I'm going to answer. I'm going to give it to you. 
If you seek me, you will find me. It's guaranteed you'll find me. If you knock, I'm going to open the door every single time. This is a commentary really on verse 7. He says, ask, seek, knock, and here's why. Because when you do, you're going to find what you're looking for. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean before I try to explain what it does mean. It does not mean that you can ask God for anything, no matter how ungodly it is, and he'll give it to you. Just as my daughter is persistent, sometimes she asks for things that aren't good for her. She would eat chocolate all day, every day, for every meal if I let her. And no matter how cute she is, and no matter how many times she asks me, I'm not going to let her do that. So that is not what this means. To understand what it does mean, we have to appreciate, again, the context of everything that's happening here. In the previous chapter, chapter 6, as it ends, here's a familiar statement Jesus made. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If you seek first the kingdom of God, God will give you everything that you need. So when Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, seek, and you will find, what he's saying is, if you'll seek the kingdom, you are going to find the kingdom. In fact, interestingly to me, the word find in verse 8 is uh, the same verb that appears down in verse 14 of chapter 7. Look at what that verse says. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. He talks about the narrow gate and the narrow road to eternal life, and he says there are few who find it, but guess what? If you seek it, you'll find it. So the key to answer prayer is seeking the kingdom of God. It's also no accident that verse 7 and verse 8 has that, that verb knock to describe our prayers because, again, in verse 13 and in verse 14 in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about entering through the narrow gate. He's not just saying if you seek the gate, you'll find it. He's saying when you find it, if you knock on the door, I'm going to open the door. If you want to be in the kingdom, you can be. And if you want to walk with me, I will make it possible for you to walk with me. All right? Let me give you another verse of Scripture that I think really simplifies this. As you ask, seek, and knock, jot down 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Listen to this verse. It says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. You want God to answer your prayers? Ask according to his will, and he will not just hear, he will give you what you ask for. You see, prayer isn't a magic formula just to get whatever we want. Instead, prayer is a weapon to help us find God's narrow path for our lives 
and to stay on that path. And if we persistently seek the kingdom, God will always give us our desires in the kingdom. Listen, even if he has to change our desires to give it to us. Prayer is not about getting your will done in heaven. Prayer is about getting God's will done on the earth. And sometimes you say, well, if that's true, then why do we pray? Because God is more interested in changing us than he is in changing our circumstances. Sometimes you start in prayer in a different place than you finish. What I mean by that is sometimes you pray for the wrong thing. But if you are genuinely seeking God and knocking on the door to God's will, and if you're asking God for his will to be done in your life, even if you start out with the wrong desire, you know what happens as you pray? God starts to slowly change your desire. I'm going to give you two examples of that. One is a biblical example, and one's a modern example. Biblically, this is what the story of Jacob wrestling with God is all about. How many of you know that story? Jacob, according to the book of Genesis, wrestles with God all night. And the Bible has this weird phrase. It says he wrestled with God and he prevailed. And I've always thought, man, what does that mean? Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed. It sounds like Jacob is a boss, right? Like he defeated God. That's not what it means. Anybody know what the name Jacob means in the Old Testament? It, mean, it means a deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver who spent his whole life manipulating people, <laughs> which is funny because he was manipulated by his father-in-law Laban so that he married the wrong woman. That is peak manipulation right there. But Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. And then he is tricked by Laban, and then he manipulates Laban right back. His whole life, he is the master of manipulation and deception. And Esau hates him because he tricked Esau out of his birthright. And when you come to the end of Jacob's life, when he's, you know why he's wrestling with God? Because right across the river, Esau is coming toward him after being away from him for years, and he thinks Esau's going to kill him. And his back's against the wall. He's got nowhere else to turn. So the Bible says he wrestles with God, and he prevails. But it doesn't mean he defeated God. What it means is God broke him. You remember, God touched his hip, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. He prevailed because he finally stopped manipulating and deceiving and came to the point where he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, God. So that when it's all over, he meets Esau and he submits to the will of God. If he lives or if he dies, he's going to face his brother Esau.
and the two of them are reconciled as a result of that. But what I'm saying is he prevailed because what he started asking God for, God bless me, God do this for me, do this for that, what he started asking God for is not where he finished. God changed him through prayer. Let me give you a modern example of that. We have a family in our church. Some of you may know them. I won't call their names, but for over a year now, they've been caring for their granddaughter who has a terminal brain tumor. She's four. And for over a year, we've prayed for that little girl. God would heal her. I just got back from Israel. I went to Israel twice this year. And both times when I went to Israel, I asked our group at the pool of Bethesda to pray for her. God would heal her just like he did the paralytic at Bethesda. God's not going to heal her. Unless something supernatural at a level that I've never seen happens, that little girl's last week with us on earth is this week. I talked to her granddad, Sunday, and uh, he said, you know, we've been praying for her for so long. He said, I don't understand why God didn't answer our prayer, and, but then he said this, but you know, Pastor, I'm finally ready to let her go. In fact, I don't want her to hurt anymore. You know what I said to him? I said, that's why we pray. That's why we've been praying for her. Because God didn't do what we asked him to do, but God changed you as a result of all those prayers. That's how you pray successfully. Because you submit. Commit to God's provision in your life. Even if your prayers finish where, and it's different than where you started, it's okay. You know why it's okay? Because you can trust that you have a heavenly Father who will answer you in a way that's always best for you. That's what this text assures us of. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus says, if your son asks you for a loaf, he won't give, you won't give him a rock, will you? You know, Israel's covered with limestones, and I brought a couple back. They're, they're round. They're like, they look like little 
pieces of bread, little wafers. It's limestone, and they're white, and they look like little pieces of bread. And Jesus said, you, if your son asks you for a loaf, you're not going to give him one of those, will you? Or if he asks you for fish, you're not going to give him a snake, are you? And the answer is, of course not. No father that loves his son is going to do that. And so Jesus says, well, if that's true about you, how much more true is that about your heavenly father? You're sinful, and you give good gifts to your children. How much more is that true about God? And the lesson is, God desires better for us than we desire for ourselves. Even if God has to change you in order to change your request, you can trust him with something that personal in your life, and you can trust him to provide for you in a way that grows the kingdom in your life. Some of the greatest prayers I have ever prayed have been prayers that God did not answer until he changed what I was asking for. It's true about where I live. It's true about who I married. It's true about the calling on my life and what I'm doing as a career. In none of those areas did God answer the first request. God had to work and change me through persistence. Now imagine if I had just quit and said, okay, God, here's what I want. I'm done. I, I asked, but I didn't keep asking. I sought, but I didn't keep seeking. I knocked, but only once. I might be bitter. I might be angry with God. I might say, well, God doesn't love me. He didn't answer me. And I would have missed that God did answer. And through that persistence, his answer was to change me and ultimately that changed what I asked of the Lord. And God answered every time as soon as my will could align with his will. God will do the same thing for you. He will. And that is why you need to pray.